My job as a CEO or all the management ranks wasn't to be right. It was to see that the right thing gets done. And one of the greatest, most freeing to me concepts is just that. You don't have to be right. You can't possibly be in a position where you know all the answers. What you can do is surround yourself with a group of people and then have access to resources where you can get the information you need to solve things. I think of imposter syndrome as this persistent feeling of self-doubt, feeling not good enough, and that despite having a track record of successful accomplishments, that a person still feels like they haven't quite earned their right to be at that table. I remember distinctly sitting at my first executive leadership team meeting, looking around and thinking, what am I doing here? So imposter syndrome is very real to a lot of people. But I think what's most important is to remember that it's really how they feel and it's not representative of what reality really is. But it's important that we recognize it's a feeling and that at least 70% of people have it. So the next time you're in a meeting and you look around and there are 10 people in the room, possibly seven people sitting there feel exactly the same way you do. Functional is not enough because whatever you carry on your hands is telling to everybody around you who you are as a person, right? Why you make that choice is more visible. When you put that bottle on the table, that's not only for you, you're telling everyone what your choice are. It's external more than internal, and that's a critical factor on developing innovation, right? And the important piece is define what is my ways in, because if you are really functional, it's really hard to break through if you don't factor the emotional. It's consumption media. It's not social media. But I just became increasingly curious about those kind of side effects. You know, I started realizing that's not really what's making me happy. That's not making me fulfilled. It's not really fitting my values. And so I looked around and said, a lot of people are struggling with this and a lot more are going to struggle with this because of how much the digital world controls our lives and the information we receive and the sort of echo chambers and bubbles we get isolated into. And it just became increasingly clear to me that there's a need to tackle this problem and I would like to be part of the solution. Faith should bring us together, not drive us apart. And we will all have differences in what we believe, but it should never be the thing in the workplace that drives us apart. But faith, for people that believe it, is a core part of who they are. And I always struggle when people don't believe they can share who they are. Like, in the workplace, when you walk through that door, it should be created to allow you to bring the best version of yourself in the door every day. And if your faith is core to who you are, you should be able to talk about that. You should be able to express your beliefs in a way, again, that respect those around you, but that are clearly sharing who you are. is not proselytizing. It's sharing why I am the way I am, what I believe and why I believe it. There were a few mentors who told me, you know, this career path isn't really going to take you to becoming a general manager. And of course, that was the gold star of, you know, what we were all striving to be, at least. And she said that directly to me that, you know, this is going to take you off track. And, you know, I had to have a conversation with myself internally and say, you know what? Well, if what is meaningful and important to me takes me off track, then it probably wasn't my track anyway. 
But there's a race and we're all lined up together and everybody on that line has the same experiences, the same capabilities. It's all the same except on me, I'm wearing a backpack. And in my backpack, I carry being African-American in a country where that's been an unequal environment for a very long time, 400 years to be exact. I carry my bag that I'm a woman, so I might have kids back there, I might have whatever. But I have to run my race and still be as fast or faster than everybody else in the line who doesn't carry the backpack, weighing them down. So I always try to listen and understand who's got a backpack and try to lighten the backpack whenever I could. You can only do so much. Everybody's got to do their part. You saw it. You saw the marchers. By and large, there was a movement there that looked really different from Martin Luther King's civil rights movement, which says to me that there's a gut reaction that might have been opened up by George Floyd's killing, that precious freedom has gotten challenged, and the majority of folks want to protect that freedom. People are, are willing to risk a lot, even during this pandemic, pandemic to show their support for our freedom. The words follow the action. A lot of people have the press statement or what's the communication strategy to this? But a communication strategy should follow action. So are your employees feeling the impact of that? I think some people try to jump to the external statement without always working on the internal and making sure that you're doing the work, you're making the impact in the right way so that when you make a statement, it's from the overflow of what you're already doing. The authenticity in the places that I've been so blessed and fortunate to work at has just been really inspiring and it holds a lesson for a lot of people who want to make an impact. I always had the attitude that I had to work harder just to get to the same place as my male counterparts. And I think most groups entering new cultures have to do that. But what men need to understand is that all minority groups, all outsiders, bring fresh thinking and something important to the table. If you've got 12 white men sitting around the table, you have, by and large, one way of thinking. And if you bring one woman, one person of color, one person with different sexual orientation, they're going to bring different thoughts to the table and the table is going to be stronger. Some of my biggest contributions they were because I thought differently and because I wasn't included in the normal boys clubs, I didn't even know not to speak my own mind. I spoke my own mind all the time. You got to sit down and do some soul searching. Why are you looking for a change? It's got to be more than running from something in your current job or magical thinking that the grass is greener. The potential path should make you naturally curious and not what all the cool kids are talking about. Carve out time to experiment on the side. Make time by waking up an hour early. If you can't sacrifice time from somewhere, then that's a sign that this leap is not interesting, important, or urgent enough for you to succeed at that risk. You need to make it happen in a room where it happens. We were convinced that competition was going to beat us to the punch. So we started a second test market, conducted the market analysis, and committed the capital. And sure enough, it was a dismal failure. That experience really shook me. I learned about intellectual honesty. We went back in those retabs to find the answer we wanted. We didn't look at them objectively. and. From then on, I tried to have real intellectual objectivity in the decisions, even if it was unfavorable. Otherwise, it can be very dangerous and costly. You put blinders on, you only see what you want to see. You only want to see the answer that fits the script. 
When I think about humor in the workplace, I don't think about people being funny. I think about laughing a lot. More important part of humor is just laughing. And I don't think I'm particularly funny, nor can I off the top of my head think of all the funny people around me, although they are. But I can guarantee you we laugh a lot. And so I think the most important part of humor in the workplace isn't the humor, it's the outcome, which is it's fun. I think if you don't have a room of people that can reflect your ideas back to you, then you don't actually know how they're gonna play out in the real world. Like you need a sounding board and I think having a group of people assures that you don't have like an echo chamber. I learn something every day. This company has shown me the world and that is a very important part of my personal value equation. And the company demanded that I make a contribution and I thrive personally in that. For 34 years, I've walked out of a door in a PNG office somewhere in the world knowing that I've been paid that day to do what was right. So that's what as leaders we have to endeavor to deliver to each of our employees. And when we can bring that alive, people, they learn, they feel valued, they want to make a difference, and they want to help each other. And when that comes alive, amazing things happen. We don't require geniuses, just very smart people of good character. And character is a combination of the moral values that are distinctive to each individual. That is, in fact, a part of PNG's culture and always has been going back to the founding partner. And the character of PNG employees is what supports the company principle of always trying to do the right thing. I have always believed that integrity can also be a competitive advantage. A brand grows in the centuries, balancing between heritage and modernity. This ability to stay modern, to stay relevant, and for me, there was a lesson that I say maybe I need to bring to more fields. What about thinking the same way about leadership? Because maybe leadership also requires a balance between heritage and modernity. Can we have a computer system automatically choose, not only can it optimize the solution, but it can figure out what data it needs produce an optimized decision, and then I can let it go and continue to operate to improve whatever I'm trying to improve. So that's the evolution from data to statistics to analytics, and then finally to what we call AI. It gets back to how do I make decisions easier? You're giving the right data to the right people at the right time as best as you can. Not perfect yet by any means, but still it's a powerful notion because they can make better decisions ultimately probably the biggest impact we can have in driving curiosity among our teams is the questions we ask. The barrier very often for curiosity, we're looking for surety that we're performing at a high level. I like to remind people, curiosity is not time bound. So very often people do not pursue their natural curiosity because you never know where it's going to lead. Now, what I've discovered is when you unlock an insight, with your curiosity. The power of that to drive limitless growth is huge. So it is to me a cornerstone and a foundation. We as leaders can make a big difference with the questions we ask because that tells people it is important. To this day, people still make the very same jokes that I heard when I was five years old. I mean, it was particularly a difficult name because I was growing up in a time and a place where it was just not tolerated to be so different and then to insist on being so different. At the same time, I was getting so many mixed messages. People would make fun of my name and then tell me in the next moment, but you should keep your name forever. It's a great name. And I would think, you're actually just lying to me right now because you don't want that name. 
but you think that I should keep this name because somebody else gave it to me. And it made me think about how our sense of identity really gets mixed up in names that other people give to us. We all have to be mindful. Sometimes we think the path that we did not think is rosier than the path we took. We all think that way, but that may not necessarily be true because we always think the grass is greener on the other side. I think you have to be grounded, mindful, balanced, and take the time to make a decision. Never be rushed and use time as your ally. I think one of the reasons we don't say yes and is we're fearful of where the and takes us. The yes and is critical because it takes us down new paths. Even if it's a dead end, it means that's not the right one. Or even if it ends with you falling down, it means now I know how it feels to fall and let me avoid those paths in the future. It is a kind of courage. And I think once we start accepting the yes and paths, we gain courage. We may not have it to begin with, but we find over time like falling doesn't hurt that much. And failure only really does allow us to begin again more intelligently really focus on people because once the people part is taken care of the operational results are automatically driven you don't have to really push for that but if your people are not taken care of you will never be able to achieve operational excellence and the lessons are on servant leadership right so if you have 500 people working for you that does not mean that they are working for you but you are working for 500 people I was very young starting a business. Let's be honest, I didn't know what I didn't know. And it was hard. Yeah, I was really burnt out. In fact, had I not left for business school, I may not have come back. For me, it was a chance to really think about all the things I'd been exposed to and really put things into perspective. And in fact, I actually interviewed with other companies. And what I realized during that process was it's less about what you do or where you do it, but more about the people you work with. You could do marketing anywhere, but are you working for someone that really cares about you, that's going to invest in your future and really become a mentor? Because that's what's going to make a difference. So I needed to go back to Indiana. I needed to go back to Angie's List because that was where I was going to learn from great people and be able to grow. You have to be able to laugh because laughter releases stress and laughter just makes everything seem not too difficult. It makes difficult things more achievable. It builds a sense of camaraderie and teamwork in the team. So if I don't have a good laugh, I think it's not such a great day. It, you know, I try to sprinkle in one or two things in a day that just makes everybody feel better, makes me feel better, puts a smile on my face, lifts up the mood. And I just think that puts everything in perspective. There's no one size fits all, right? Every person is different. Every situation is different. So the need to empathize and listen to every person is the starting point of driving a culture of diversity and inclusion. Sometimes we fall into the trap of creating these one-size-fits-all processes. Processes are important because they drive focus, but what's even more important is that humanizing that experience with empathy and care, which I think really drives this forward. Don't ask yourself why you're feeling a certain way. Just ask what you're feeling. Just ask what. Because why becomes a judgment. And I think people just don't listen. There need to be silences and you need to give people room to run. My style has gotten better because I've let people talk more. If you make all your points, you leave nothing for the other person to say. You gotta ask something and leave something and give them some rope so that they can have some fun instead of trying to be a know-it-all and I wanna show you all these things I know. It's like you get to a certain point, maybe you're just confident of going, well, I already know what I know, now I wanna know what you know. It started off with me trying to understand what the heck 
This emotion was that so many of us feel when we hear sad music and it doesn't really make us feel sad. It makes us feel connected to humanity, to something uplifting and soaring and connecting. And I discovered that there's this bittersweet tradition that has existed across time, across the centuries, across the world that our writers and philosophers and religions have been trying to teach us about for centuries because it's the pathway to creativity and connection and transcendence. And we live in such a relentlessly optimistic and upbeat culture that we don't pay enough attention to that dimension of human experience. On a daily basis, give yourself a score on a scale of one to 10 versus the leader I want to be, what kind of score would I give myself? And the power really comes with doing that with pen and paper because it forces you to make a decision. Do I give myself every day a 10 out of 10? Or do I say like, well, maybe it was a seven. And then think about, okay, what could be one thing that I could do today to maybe push that up a little bit? People ask me, if I'm in a tough environment, should I leave? And I always say, no, not immediately. Try to see if you can bring in your strengths. Because in that environment, all my strengths, you know, I was too good with my people. I was too creative. My boss even called me Miss Kumbaya because I was too positive, right? So I kept on feeling like I can't bring my strengths, but I forced myself to bring my strengths. And that's what I say to people. If you're able to bring your strengths to work, work on it and make it work. If you feel suffocated that you can't, probably not the right place for you. Only when I got back to my strengths was I able to succeed. There are some dark moments in sales where like we worked on this thing forever. The team gets in there, we're meeting with a customer, we're gonna change our relationship. We're gonna, you know, take Sunny Delight in a totally different direction. And it does not go at all like you plan. And the guy, they he didn't like you from the beginning. And it's just like, this thing goes from bad to worse. And you walk out in that parking lot and you're just like, you just feel lost. I remember a couple of times just walking out and you're just like this, that was, that was bad. And am I gonna get fired? And I do think, Humor is a way to deal with failure. There's nothing that opens up your mind, even your heart, to new and unknown things than travel. Travel as much as you can. Go to places that are even a little bit outside your comfort zone, for sure. Travel has been the biggest joy of my life and just seeing new things, seeing things outside of our comfort zone, seeing new cultures has just been wonderful. What I'm presenting is an alternative to traditional career planning, which also challenges a lot of assumptions we have. The, the mindset of an entrepreneur is helpful to embrace no matter what your current position might be. Learning how to most effectively utilize multiple currencies. You have income and assets, but then you also have time, mobility, lifestyle, and quality of life. So to the extent that you more are able to control the W's of life, who you spend time with, what you do, why you are doing them. If you have let skills and interests and hobbies and relationships atrophy over a decade or two, of focusing on career can actually be incredibly challenging. Because simplifying the complex is hard. You probably remember the one-page memo. You gotta put all your thoughts into one document, which means distilling really the essentials making sure that your thoughts and the rationale behind it is as strong as possible. What I learned from it is really you gotta pay attention to the details because that memo is gonna go to different stakeholders that may or may not know you. That really pushed me to one, self-reflect, simplify to the max, 
make sure the rationale is super robust and backed by strong data. You want to make sure it is understood by everyone. You want to make sure that it says something about you. We can be very intentional about planning things like celebrations to actually celebrate the closure of a project, to celebrate by having some type of get together, whether it's even just a simple happy hour, getting people together or whatever, but it, it's so easy to go on to the next thing, to go on to the next show or go on to the next date or go on to the next whatever, but to take that moment to actually celebrate those small and big wins, I think is really, really important. So if you can do it while also drinking a milkshake in Honolulu, Hawaii, it's certainly recommended. Traveling is my jam. Traveling is my bug. And this is a region of the country. I haven't spent a lot of time in it. And I think you need to be in those uncomfortable positions to truly seek to understand something about our country. So we spent every weekend away in a different state, just going on road trips and experiencing it. You got to meet people where they're at, but you also got to meet people where they're receptive and open to hearing a conversation and being willing to put yourself out there for it. Every state has something. And like making the time to scratch beneath the surface and seeing what's there and spending time with the people in the cities, in the towns, at the restaurants. You're always gonna uncover something. I truly believe that we are most successful and powerful when it comes from the core of who we are. Don't go and change yourself into somebody else. You are a unique person who has a unique set of skills. So figure out how you read. What is it that is working really well for you? But then at the same time, what is it about your leadership styles that is getting in the way? Say, so look, there's no formula. There is no direct path. I have not followed a direct or clear path. And frankly, nobody that I really know has. Everybody has to pivot at times in their life. But what I do know is that you will be doing exactly what you were meant to be doing at that point in time when you do it. So just breathe it in and don't always be looking and looking for the next thing because you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be happy at that very moment. So you have to balance it all. We're doing this work backwards. We're thinking a lot about inclusion at our meetings, at our boardroom tables, but inclusion starts at our kitchen tables. It starts in our homes. It starts in our communities. You want people to change their behavior at work, but you expect people to shatter stereotypes. You expect people to be authentic and empathetic. And yet, the reality is two-thirds of white Americans are still self-segregating, and the numbers are very similar for Black Americans. So if you aren't building cross-cultural relationships, if you aren't actively thinking about how you can learn about a lived experience that is not your own, how do you expect to show up at work differently and show up as somebody who wants to be a more inclusive leader? Don't wait for that bravery moment, that hero moment, until you call yourself courageous. Call yourself and appreciate your courageousness when you say, I'm not staying in my comfort zone, I'm prepared to learn, I'm prepared to take a risk. Because sometimes people develop a script of, oh, I'm not courageous. They're never courageous and they never say no, or they never say what they really would want to do or what they would really want to say. And the space gets smaller and smaller. And with a smaller and smaller space, you are not leading a happier life. I believe you are here for a reason and that's usually reaching out to the world and not getting smaller. I think sometimes seeking help is perceived as a sign of weakness, but sometimes there's a thin line between success and failure. So I'd rather seek help and succeed. And even if you then fail, you sought help. So it wasn't for lack of trying. But if we didn't seek help, then we have a part to play 
because we didn't seek the help we need at the right time. So this is not a place where seeking help is a sign of weakness. So use it, leverage it. At the right time, reach out to the right people and ask for help. People open doors because that's how they have succeeded. The way we code constructive feedback, the way our brain processes it, our neural processes, is the same exact way our brain codes a physical threat. And we have that same immediate and subconscious defense mechanism because feedback is seen as a threat to our social standing, our self-esteem and our identity. We're biologically hardwired to get defensive when we receive feedback. And so it's less about training yourself to not be defensive. It's more recognizing that you will get defensive and then stepping beyond that defense and then step forward with openness and and receptivity. And it's also important to remember when you're giving feedback, the person you're giving feedback to might have that split second of a defense mechanism, but keep giving it and be open and, and be generous. And you guys can both get beyond that defensiveness. I grew up in small town and I was the only African American student in K through 12. I was non-traditional. And there are so many stereotypes that surrounded what I should or shouldn't be able to do that if I believed those things, I wouldn't be able to have the life that I knew that I was meant to have. That's where I understood, like, this is my non-traditional place. They don't expect me to be here. This gives me every right to win because they will always underestimate the power that you have when you're in a space where they don't see you belonging. I was told a lot that I wasn't athletic and I didn't give up. Maybe to a certain limit, I'm never going to be a world-class player, but at the same time, I learned that if I learned the proper technique and everything, I can pretty much try to achieve anything that I want. And so that experience to this day, I always tell myself, I say, okay, if somebody tells you no, from their perspective, they see N-O. From my side, I see O-N, meaning on. It just turns me on to try to say, how can I prove somebody wrong? One of the biggest things you learn when you get into the field and when you start, you know, working with people is it's not going to be about how you get results from yourself, but how you're going to be able to get results through other people and how you bring other people along. Just realize every decision you make is a prediction and act like it. So don't just say like, oh, my gut, because your gut is making some sort of prediction. Figure out what is it implicitly predicting. Make that explicit and actually write it down. You should be looking at your decisions through that frame. My decisions are predictions. I won't say I look for conflicts. I look for issues. Uh, But uh, when faced with conflicts, issues or problems, I I actually do get energized by them. Because to me, uh, every issue or problem is an opportunity to learn and grow. I like to reflect on the things that are the most core lessons, you know, that somebody leaves on you. And like so many really, really effective and inspirational people, at the heart of what I observed with Dan is the way he treated people. There's nothing like that. Like, truly, there's a better way to live and work. And my God, like, how much more enjoyable is it when you do operate that way? So you can be effective and you can have a good time doing it. Dan showed that you can be who you are and be successful. And P&G is it's an amazing company with amazing talent, very competitive inside. And for someone to be able to go into P&G and 
and still be true to himself and be in a rock band and talk like a rock star, but still have the command and respect of all of your business partners because he was so talented and grounded in doing what was right for the business. It showed that you can get beyond stereotypes and be successful. I would say the thing about Dan that I would want people to remember is just not to give up on the things that you believe are worth fighting for. No matter how hard something looks at any given time, or how insurmountable a task or an objective may seem, Dan believed that if you fought hard enough, that you could make anything work. They're very bright minds there because the filtering process of a billion people is such that the people who make it to the workforce have gone through a lot. So you have a bunch of smart people that you can work with. So that's a huge positive working in India. But sometimes when you have too many smart people, it can also cause intellectual discussions and great discussions over months and nothing really is happening. And the big adjustment that folks who've come out of India, if they're able to make, which is, all right, how do I balance thinking and doing? So that's the big shift that you have to make. People are interconnected in India and there's an interdependence there that doesn't exist here. We've gone farther and farther away from that here in the United States. When you go there, there's just more of like a connectedness, a togetherness. Rich, poor, Muslims, Hindus all cohabitate. So for me, I think I envy the idea that there's just such an integration of that out of necessity. So much of the thinking today is reactive, responsive, it's fast, right? To get the problem defined so you can begin to solve it, you've got to slow it down and you've got to devote the thinking to it, right? And I just don't think you can really get to breakthrough innovation. If it requires any amount of collaboration, iteration, co-experimentation, you need to mull over things, to chew on things, to go down the wrong road two or three different times, come back up. But however you do it, it requires slowing the thinking down, collaborating at a much higher level, finding more unlikely connections, all of which takes time. Seek things that challenge you to think differently in a new and better way. When people have had a different set of experiences, they will bring different facts, different experiences. Yeah. And it causes you just to reflect. And that's a hard thing to do too. You gotta slow it down. I mean, the greatest training I had over my career was the opportunity to work with people that have different mastery, and we all want to make a difference. The more senior I got, the less I knew about the subject matter I was asked to engage in. Seek to understand and empower the people closest to, the real knowledge source, the people that do the work every day. Instead of critiquing, understand what is the process that's seeking to understand instead of be right, do right. The culture of a tribe passed on for generations by gathering around the campfire. The time to tell stories, the time to share experience, and transmit the wisdom behind the tribe's guiding principles. Every company of any size needs to have this function in, the, in its own way in order to preserve its prospects for longevity. 